Jews, they were thankful for Jesus and to be able to come and to learn about that. So that's a big part of their lives anymore. We got a couple of the kids that they live for Thursday night now just to be able to come out and to be here. So uh, thank you for that. And before we begin the lesson, I want to just have us to stand and let's go to our Father in prayer. Uh, I'm going to pray not only for the lesson, but also for a few folks. And um, so I'll give you a moment of silent prayer. And then um, we, I'll close this out and then we'll begin our lesson this morning as we praise God. Father, this, this is a great, beautiful Lord's Day that you've given us. And I'm so thankful for each and every soul that is out here in our presence today in front of you. Father, you are here with us. So is your spirit and so is your son. And Father, we pray that as we break open the word of life, that you will allow us to understand it, that it will encourage us, that it will fill us with so much awe of your goodness. And Father, we have a few of our brothers and sisters in Christ, a part of your body that is hurting and in need of prayers at this time. And Father, go on behalf of, of all of them. And I'm going to mention a few names, but there's many others. And, but these are the ones that's kind of reached out to me. And Ron Adkison, Father, fell this week. And, and you know that, but he broke four ribs. And he's got double pneumonia, and he's in the uh, Meadow Lakes. And we pray, Father, that you will be with him, that you will strengthen him, that you'll help the pain, and you'll help the pneumonia to leave so that he can breathe. His oxygen level was low. So, Father, we pray that you will give him that hand of healing and strength and power and let him know that you're near to him. Be with his family as they wrestle with this as well. And Father, I pray for Wilma. She wasn't able to make it out today. and She doesn't know what's going on with her head and her locked jaw. But we pray, Father, that you will reach down and heal that and touch her as well. Give her comfort and peace with that. And Father, I pray for Sarah. Sarah Camden made it this morning, but her back's hurting. And I pray that you will be with her, Father, that you will help heal that, that you will allow her to continue to be able to come out and to worship with the saints. It's so moving for her to be here, Father, and, and she encourages us so much when she's here. So pray that you'll continue to touch her and love on her. And the same with my sister, Michelle, Father. I pray that you will reach down, that you will touch her, that you will bless her, and I pray, Father, that you will continue to do wonders. And I pray that every one of us will continue in prayer this week for all of these folks, Father. And I pray your blessings upon this service today. May we honor you. May you be glorified in all that we say and we think and we do. And may we take you into thanks living this week, Father, because of the grace that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to 
be in Ephesians 1 and then Romans chapters 1 through 5 today. So if you want to mark those and be ready. Ephesians 1 and Romans 1 through 5. We said that the book of Ephesians is probably the treasure of the epistles. What is written in there fills us with such hope and blessings and benefit. Can't begin to tell you how that's going to affect us as we go forward. It's got some beautiful stuff in it for those who are in Christ. Chapters 1 through 3 actually sheds light on what's called the doctrine of positional truth. And what that means is is that because we are in Christ, there is a lot of promises in the Word of God. The position that we have in Christ is so great and magnanimous, we can't even begin to describe it. We're going to hear a few of the things the way Paul tries to describe it just in one chapter, let alone the rest of the book and the rest of the entire New Testament. Chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians kind of tells us then after that about our response to that grace, our duty in this life that we have in Christ as we live it. So the promises of God are things that are powerful and we lean upon every day because God has told us he cannot lie. There's no way that he can lie. So if he said it, it's a positive truth. Now, I want to keep emphasizing that to you because sometimes life sucks it out of us and we begin to forget that. But he said, my word is truth and I am a God that cannot lie. And if I said it, I mean it and it will happen. And it has always happened throughout the scriptures. And I don't know about you, but with this being Thanksgiving week, I want, I want to know where I am in Christ. I want to know some of these blessings, don't you? I want to see what it is. We've got things it says in verse 3 that are in 4 that are in Christ that we've already been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Can you believe that? All spiritual blessings from the heavenlies we already have because we are in Christ. Every means every one of them. It's almost like you've got a bank account. Once you became in Christ... He deposited within our account in the bank of the firstborn, his son, all of these divine operational assets for life for us to draw upon. You've got a blank checkbook to write on these assets that God has given to you for your life to spend. Let's start using them, but we can't use them and we can't write those checks if we don't know what they're for, right? What, what are the things that we can write checks on? Well, let's start to look. Because we want to invest these spiritual assets into our life so then that we walk forward and invest them in other people. If you're there with me, I don't have all of these verses up on the screen, but if you're there in Ephesians 1, just start sliding down with me a little bit. Verse 4. Did you know you've been chosen by God to be holy and without blame before Him in love? How about verse 5? Did you know that we've been adopted as sons in Jesus Christ by him himself to be in him? I don't know how he would want a low life like me and his family and to be his son, but he said, yes, I do. 
And you know what it says? It was because it was his good pleasure to do that. It's his good pleasure to adopt you into his family and to be a part of him as his son. He goes on to see words like praise, glory, grace, acceptance. Don't we all want to be accepted? Watched a movie last night. My grandson said, we watched this in school. I'd like for you to watch it. And it was called uh, Wonder. It was about a little boy who had had 20-some operations. And his face was so disfigured. And what he needed was acceptance. He had to finally go to school. And it took a long time for him to even be accepted by the classmates. We've been accepted by God through his son, Jesus Christ. We have redemption, it says. We have forgiveness of sins. We have riches of grace that abounds to us. We get wisdom from Him. We get prudence. We get good pleasure purposed by Him for us. And Bill, how's Dorothy doing? Good. Yeah. Okay. I want to stop and say a special prayer for her right here along with, with the rest of them we did too. And Father, I'm thankful that Bill was able to make it out today. And Father, I'm so thankful for Dorothy. She's been on my heart all week. and uh, So Father, I pray that you continue to bless her and keep her. And Father, may she be able to be out with us in the next week or two. I hope she has a great Thanksgiving with the family. And thank you for your grace and love that you've shed on her in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, you're welcome, buddy. It says, then, as we continue to go down through there, that we have an inheritance with him. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who get this in verse 14. He is our guarantee, our hope. We are a purchased possession. These are promises and blessings that says we have right now. Goes on verse 18. We need to know about the hope of the calling that we have in Christ. What is the riches of his glory? There's riches that's been deposited in your account of his glory in an inheritance that we share because we are saints and in him. And we know it says that there is exceeding greatness of his power toward us. You hear that? There's exceeding greatness of his power towards us in the things that he knows that we need. According to the working of his almighty power. Are you starting to get excited yet? There's 17 things in chapter 1 that we just did a cliff note on that we're going to be able to see belongs to us. Because we're in Christ Jesus. Now, let's start to learn some of these things. And I'm not going to get very far today. Because I'm going to tell you about grace and peace. You know, verse 1 starts out, and we had this last week. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus. And to those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And I want to tell you a little bit about Ephesus as we begin. It's the capital of Asia Minor. It was a great city. In Paul's day, it was wonderful, it was beautiful, it was power, it was filled with money, with trade, with people. 
But one of the things was it was rotten to the core spiritually because it was the pagan center of worship for Artemis or Diana of Ephesus. And that's who they worshipped. And that's who they were consecrated to. This city was consecrated and dedicated to them. And people come from all over the world to worship there and to, to get those idols of Diana and then to worship in that temple because this is what that temple looked like in that day in the ruins of at Paul's time it was built and it was beautiful today it's in ruins but I want to tell you that that temple was one of the seven wonders of the world it was a little over 400 feet one way and 240 feet the other way you see the couple of columns that are still left standing there They had 127 of those columns, 60 feet tall, that they had put there. It took 220 years for all of the best craftsmen to build this. And it was one of those seven wonders of the world. Then it came a time when Demetrius, you see, he was the head of the silversmith union. They made these... uh, idols for Diana and they made a bunch of money up as the people came to to worship at this temple but you know what Paul began to preach his message to the Ephesians the same kind of things that we're getting ready to study and you know what it did it turned the people on their head upside down why Because he began to tell them that there is one true God. There is only one true God. It's the God of heaven who created and made everything. And it is none of this stuff that you're worshiping now. And he began to tell them about the benefits. The divine operating assets that you have in Christ. The protection that you have. The eternal life that you have. And it says that the people began coming to him in droves. And the silversmiths union, their income that they had to live on dried up because there was now no more people. He told the union, he called a meeting and said, because of this man Paul and the gospel of Jesus Christ, our wealth has dried up and we got to do something about it. So they grabbed a couple of Paul's traveling companions and took them to the big arena that they had it was called the theater at Ephesus and this thing was carved into the side of a mountain and it held 50,000 people if you can imagine that 2,000 years ago it was a beautiful place and the people could talk from the bottom and hear all the way up and it says in Acts chapter 19 that verse 34 that the people gathered in there because of this tumult around the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul preached to these pagan people. And it filled that arena up. And for two solid hours, they chanted and they stomped. And they said, great is Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians. And they were stomping and spreading. That's the tumult that the gospel of Jesus Christ caused. Because there was people leaving the paganism, leaving the world system and coming to know the Savior. So then, as Paul is getting these Christians coming in, he needs to tell them about Jesus and about the gospel and the promises that they have, why you need to leave that and to know Jesus, the Son of the true God. And this is what he says to them. Verse 2, grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that seems like a simple greeting. You see how the next thing starts to talk about these spiritual blessings that we introduced with. It's like the first two verses were meant by man as they put them together to kind of skip over and get to the meat and potatoes. And I say, hold on a minute, Haas. Don't, don't tie up the horse for a minute. Let's stop and let's review what's, what's really being said here. Because I went and looked. Paul writes, and even Peter wrote in his two epistles. In every one of them begins with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there must be a reason why the Holy Spirit puts in every letter grace to you and peace. What's that mean? It must mean something big because he puts it in every one. He didn't just say at one time, I've got about 12 of them written over here at the side. What is it that you want me to know? Is it for my advantage? He says yes, because the syntax of the way this is written is that it's in a, what's called a dative of advantage. That means it's for our advantage and our benefit. Those who are in Ephesus, those who are saints today in Christ Jesus, the things that I am getting ready to write to you is for your advantage. That's what that says in that first verse. It's dative of advantage. And what I'm getting ready to tell you, and then he says, verse 2, grace and peace. What's that look like? These are the Christians. These are saints. They became saints because Paul preached the same message, he says in Corinthians, to every place that I've ever been. I teach the same thing. I don't deviate. So let's learn why the first words that he always tells us is grace and peace. It's because of what we've came out of. I hope that we understand too that this is written for the benefit of those who are in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to take a time out to say that if you are not in Christ, how can it benefit you? This is a dative of advantage to those who are in Christ. I hope that if you are not in Christ, you will listen to the advantages that those in Christ have. And you will decide today to give your life to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Not another date. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Because I want you to see what we have and what we've came out of. Okay. Grace and peace is like saying happy Thanksgiving to you. Because this is what we're going to be taught. He says, I've taught the same thing in every city because without Christ, you and I, every soul that's upon the earth is an enemy of God, lost in sin and in danger of judgment and eternal damnation in the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. For you see, go ahead and give me the next slide, Miss T. That Jesus himself said in, in uh, John chapter 3, verses 18 and verse 36. This is Jesus. He who believes in the Son is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see 
life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And there's people today who don't believe that. There's people today who believes everybody's going to be in heaven. There's not any hell. There's not any folks. Jesus died because of the reality of hell. The lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's reality. And he said, I've been offered up as a gift for you to those who believe in me. You will not be condemned. But those who will not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God will not see life, but the wrath of God will abide upon them. God does not want us to have wrath. He wants us to have grace and peace. He wants us to have that, not this other stuff. So Paul takes this message that Jesus has given to him and he goes into Romans chapter 1 and he begins to say this, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the Jews and the Gentiles. And I told a little thing this week on Wednesday. Roses are red, violets are bluish. If you're not Gentile, then you're Jewish. So that covers everybody. You're either Gentile or Jew. You're either barbarian or Greek, bond or free. You're one of them, wise or unwise. That gets all of us, folks. And he says, I am a debtor to everyone, and I am ready with as much as in me to preach the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek, it reveals the truth and the righteousness of God. The just will live by faith, but, he goes on to say, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness, and to all of those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And that's why this pulpit must never suppress the truth, teach anything but the truth, and to suppress the truth of what he just said here is this. There's a day coming of wrath. We don't just say, it's okay, be what you want, do what you want. No, we don't suppress the truth. We need to tell people that God wants you to live for Him. He wants you to live and believe in His Son and live for Him. And that's why we don't suppress it. We preach the truth in love. And we try to pull people, as it says in the book of Jude, even as it were, from out of the fire. So Paul... Begins going on in chapter 2 of Romans then. See, this is what he teaches everywhere. Because there are those who despise the riches of the grace and truth that leads to the repentance of sin. And that's what grace and truth does. It should motivate us from what the love of God has done. Motivate us to repent of the sin that's in our life. But there are those who will hear, but they won't trust the truth, and obey it. But there will be a day when judgment is rendered, a day of wrath, verse 5, and the revealing of the righteousness of God to those who treasure this life and don't treasure immortality and eternal life, as verse 6 says, by patience continuing in doing good, seeking glory and honor and immortality. 
But there are those who will continue in unrighteousness. And verse 9 says, Indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish is on every soul of man who continues to do evil. For there is no partiality with God. He will make no exceptions to these scriptures. Does that make God unjust then? That question was asked. And so he responded to that in Romans chapter 3. And in verse 5 where he says, God forbid. That doesn't make God unjust. Certainly not. Without Christ, we are all under the condemnation of sin. There is none righteous. No, not one of us. All the world is guilty before God. But then, verse 19 goes on to say, And by the flesh, that is, those who walk outside of Christ, those who aren't born again and know Him, they will stand guilty because you trusted in yourself, your power and your might, and you didn't rest in God's will with His Son. And then it says, that the only righteousness that we have is the righteousness that is upon God through faith in Christ Jesus. And verse 22 states that and that all that righteousness is to all upon all who will believe in him. And just as Jesus said in John 3, there is no difference, there is no partiality. We have to believe in him. And I don't know about you, but... I'm ready for some good news, aren't you? I mean, all we've heard so far in chapter 1, 2, 3 up to now has been kind of bad news. But you know why? Because we have to understand where we're at before you can be motivated to know where you need to go. If you think you're all right, if you've suppressed the truth and haven't motivated people to what truth actually is, how are you going to get them to come out of it? So he says, i got to let you know where you're at so I can get you to where you need to be. So now let's start getting to where we need to be. Verse 24, we have been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus, whom God himself has set forth as a propitiation. That's a big word, isn't it? Propitiation. Boy from Perrigan had to look that one up. That's what we were just praying about up there. Propitiation means to cover up everything. Everything being covered up. You know what's cool? This is the same word used in Hebrew back in Genesis 6 when God told Noah to build an ark. And when he built it and he had that ark completely built, he said something else. He said, I want you to pitch it within and without. You remember that? To take this pitch, whatever that concoction was, take this pitch and I want you to pitch the ark within and without. You know why it's this word here? It means a covering. A covering of atonement. All of the human work, all of the boards, all of the cracks, all of the imperfections, all of the beauty, whatever it was of man's work, On the ark, God said, cover it up. Put this pitch on it, cover it up, and if you do that, guess what? It's going to float. It ain't going to sink. My grace is going to carry you through that flood in that vessel. And that's what this word means. It means that you and I, when we begin to trust in Jesus Christ, 
God offered him up as our propitiation and his blood covers our sins. It covers our fleshly nature. It covers who and what we are within and without. And now we have complete forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what that word means. You have been covered over and God doesn't see you He sees the blood of his son on you because you have been propitiated. You have been covered. And then he goes on to say that by obeying the word of God and doing what they did, it covered it up. And that's what happens with us. It never leaked, cracked or sank. And neither will we if we stay in that blood of Jesus Christ. We are covered within and without And then it says, it goes on to say in verse 25, that God set forth the means of our propitiation, our covering, that he set that forth by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness to us. Because that now, through that blood covering us, God can pass over the sins that we previously committed. Isn't that great? I mean, look at that up there. God now has passed over the sins. Doesn't that sound familiar? Exodus. I'm going to lead you out tonight. And what you're going to do is you're going to slay that lamb and you're going to take its blood and you're going to put it on the doorpost. And tonight when my angel of death comes through Egypt, every firstborn is going to die, but those who are covered, propitiation, atonement, Those who are covered by the blood, I will pass over them. That's what Paul is drawing on with all of this. Christ is our covering, our propitiation, our blood on the doorpost, our pitch on the ark. And he is saving us. And now God is justified in passing over us. Wow. Let's go on to verse to uh, chapter 4. Then just like Abraham, he goes on to tell us. Abraham believed God. Even when he was 100 years old and Sarah was in her 90s. And his body was sexually dead. And it says her womb was sexually dead. But God had said that through you in your seed shall the nation arise that I bless. And so it says there that... I like the way the King James puts it, and that's why I put it there. It says, even though he and Sarah both were physically dead in that kind of a way, he said, Abraham staggered not at the promises of God. It didn't cripple him down. It didn't buckle him down. He said, I believe that my God can cause me to come back to life in this sort of a way. And God did because he staggered not at the promises of God. So then, the same thing here. His for, this isn't written for Abraham's sake. It says in verse 23 and 24 that it's not for him that righteousness was imputed by his faith and his belief, but it's for you and I as well. We have that same righteousness imputed into us when we believe in the promises of God that he's going to raise us up From spiritual death into spiritual life and eternal life with him. If you believe in it, he's going to impute that righteousness 
and to us. Wow. Next verse is Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. I don't know why they put a chapter break there. But that next verse is one of them that you need to highlight and underline because it's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Because of all of this and this imputation of righteousness through Christ because He covered our sins, even when we were lost, it says, Therefore, there is now, now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What did Jesus say? They are condemned already if they haven't believed in me. But when you've believed and you've been washed by the blood and when you've been atoned and covered over, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's why when we bring all of this history to tell us about Ephesians 1, about grace and peace. This is what grace is all about. That's why every one of them starts, because we were all lost. All were in sin and short of the glory of God. But now, through Christ, you have been forgiven, covered over, and no condemnation. And that is all grace. And that's why every book starts out reminding us where we came from and about grace and peace to you. From God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now let's go to uh, verse 6 there of Romans 5. While we were still without strength and hope, God did all of that for us. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Because God so loved the world. You know, it's not only written in John 3.16, it's written right here in verse 8. God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. So here's a promise. If He did all of that for us while we were still sinners, He goes on to say this promise. How much more then shall we be he be doing things for us now that we've been reconciled to him and saved by the life of his son. How much more is he going to do for us now because of that? Therefore, he goes on to say that we can rejoice with God through Christ Jesus our Lord who has given us this reconciliation back to Jesus, back to God through Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to you and I that ought to make you jump up for joy that's something to be thankful about this week right that ought to just get us going boy it did me all week man y'all gotta lighten up (laughs) you're all just sitting there I can feel you all heavy you you've got all of this Paul had to let us know where we've been So that we can see the beauty of what he's done for us and where we're going. Look at this. No condemnation. It says that we were without Christ. And when you're without Christ, what does it say in verse 10 that we were? Enemies. We were enemies to God. Did you know that? It's a spiritual war. And it's a battle. And there's the enemy side and the other side. Outside of Christ We are enemies to God. So if you're here today, don't remain an enemy. 
Get on the right side. Get on God's side. Don't stay an enemy with God. He said, we were enemies. We were uncovered. We were uncleaned. We are unsaved. But in Christ, we have forgiveness, reconciliation. And that's all because of grace. And we are no longer enemies with God, but we've been covered over and atoned. Now, so as we go back to Ephesians 1 where we started, that's all the foundation for why every letter starts in verse 2. Grace to you. You know where you came from. and You know where you're going in Christ now. Grace to you and peace to those who are faithful in Christ. Wow. That's marvelous. He's telling each one of us about the love of God for us. And grace is what saved us through faith. And so now you have grace and you have peace. You used to be an enemy, but now you are no longer an enemy, but you're a son. You've been adopted. You've been saved. You've been reconciled to him. That's peace. So grace and peace covers all of these great things that we have in Christ. And it says that it doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from my family. It doesn't come from your family. It doesn't come from people on the internet that you hear. It says it comes from God the Father, who is now your Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. So it comes all the way down from them, grace to you and peace. The greatest, most wonderful gift that we could ever have. As we start going into this holiday season... That don't mean anything. This is your greatest gift. This is the greatest thing to be thankful for. Grace and peace that we have with Christ. Next week, I hope to begin sharing with you those spiritual blessings that it says there in Christ that we have. The things that we can draw on our account of all of the wonderful things that God has deposited for you and I for this life. To be drawn upon and used. We've got to know about them. As we close. I want you to see. Two lists. These are the words that we've talked about. For both those who are in Christ. And those who are outside of Christ. They're exact opposites aren't they? To those that are in Christ. We have grace. Peace. We've been reconciled. We got reconciliation. We got redemption. We've been justified salvation we've had imputed righteousness of christ to us we've been propitiated we've been covered by his blood god don't see us no more he sees him and there is therefore now no condemnation to those of us who are in christ jesus but then the other side of the list talks about the things that was in scripture that said we've outside of christ All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're unsaved. We're uncovered. We're judged already. There is no grace. There is no peace. There's no hope. There's only lostness. An enemy with God. Condemned already. His wrath abiding upon us. And then the only hope is eternal damnation. So I really pray and trust that we stay on the in Christ side. And if you're not, 
that this has motivated you to see the blessings that are in Christ and will get you to turn that way today. So as our worship team returns, to the two destinations of our eternal souls are just as opposite as those. The blessing of those who are in Christ of the heavenly realm and then to those who are not in Christ, the lake of fire. Two exact opposite things. And that's why Paul is so adamant everywhere not to suppress the truth, but to speak the truth, the reality in love. And hopefully we will choose to be in Christ. And that's why Ephesus was turned upon its head. That's why everywhere he went with that news, people were turned to Christ. Because where else are you going to get these kind of benefits? Not only for this life, but forever. God's awesome. His grace and peace is awesome. And I pray that that will now be a centerpiece of thanksgiving this week. And not just a turkey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that actually straightens it out man it's scary to be outside of Christ it's awesome to be inside of Christ thank you for your love thank you for your mercy thank you for grace and peace and now I am so thankful that every letter starts out with grace to you and peace because those mean now more than ever that I understand why you wrote them and why it is for our advantage. And Father, may your word move upon our hearts today and the rest of our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.